The royalty of college football is in assembly. What can you say? They, they were fired up. They played like they were on, you know, cocaine sandwiches the whole game. Two sides. You never go against at home. The Russian Army and Notre Dame. 50-45. Welcome back to Shooting the Breeze. I'm your host, Mike Calabrese, joined by Ryan Camp here at Smithfield in Midtown Manhattan. And a shout out to Lucas from Missouri. We are not, in fact, dead. Uh, we wanted to kill ourselves after multiple multiple three and six weeks but luckily none of us decided to pull the trigger are you more of a news guy you know what i bet you're one of those uh i'm just gonna be right back i'm gonna be in the garage just getting shears or gloves or definitely not running the car until your death that's it i think i would just slide out and go hey everyone i'll be right back and then uh i don't know shuffle off just minutes later you'd find me and go hey where was dad oh dad had a nice bottle of liquor in a car in the garage well, luckily for our podcast overall, we're only down, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eyeball it at uh, about four units on the season, and it seems like we've been getting slammed over the head for the past month. So, we took a little break. We decided not to record last week. Uh, thank you, Lucas, for, for shouting us out, needing you, or needing us in your life, I should say. Um, but now we're going to go back to the bread and butter. We're going to give you three picks each. We're going to try to go for that illustrious 9-0 and week. We don't recommend any of you recreationally or seriously place a 19 parlay. But if you are inclined, maybe a round robin, tie some of those together in parlays. Uh, I'm going to get a kick started here. And when I'm in a real funk, I like to sit back totally agnostic of the Vegas line and just think about what team is the most consistent on either side of the ball. And when I think about this year, it's the Oklahoma Sooners on offense. Number one in points per play. Number one in yards per play. They have two NFL running backs. C.D. Lamb is looking like a top 15 NFL draft pick. And Jalen Hurts is on a pure revenge tour. He is looking to prove everybody wrong. He's throwing the deep ball well. He's clearly running better than he ever has. And I think the other element of this is the way that this season is stacking up right now, it could be a beauty pageant between some undefeated Power 5 conference champions. So when you look at the motivation for Lincoln Riley to go ahead and drop another 50-point nugget on uh, an opponent in the Big 12, as he did last week, I, I really like Oklahoma to just jam their foot on the accelerator. And one final piece, and this is more of a deep cut, Derek King decides to redshirt at Houston, and he's going to open up his recruitment, even though he says he's come back from Houston. That's bullshit. He's dead to me. I can spot a fucking rat, and that guy is a fucking rat. And I think Oklahoma is going to be a very, very tempting landing spot with all the graduate transfers, all of the success in one year at, at quarterback. And for that reason, when you look at the number one quarterback in the country last year, Spencer Rattler, he got some, some playing time last week. He's probably going to get a quarter's worth of playing time against the Jayhawks. It's in his head. He wants to put down the best film he can. And Lincoln Riley doesn't totally go into a shell play calling wise. He's still going to you know, be running 75% of the offense. So I like Rattler and Tanner Mordecai to punch in maybe one or two fourth quarter touchdowns to secure this 33 point line. Ryan, what do you think? I like the idea that it's a campus visit for Derek, uh, which is really great. Uh, I think you're totally right. I think one, Lincoln Riley knows that that's the score also and wants to show them that they throw the ball around. Even with two great running backs, I think they're going to pepper it all over the field. I mean, obviously Oklahoma's going to win this in a walk. It's just a matter of whether or not they take their foot off the accelerator at the end. And if Holgerson has anything on offense left to be able to put up any points against, again, a much improved Oklahoma defense, I think it's great. I think they are not getting the postseason talk that they expected at this point because Clemson and Alabama have not taken enough of a step back, even though Clemson has eked out a couple bad wins. 
Uh, so I think Oklahoma is full steam ahead. I'm not sure you're going to see a full quarter out of the out of the second string here unless they're up by like 70 points. I mean, I, I think I think they're going to keep the offense on the field for a good long while. Yeah, when you also look at the fact that through no fault of their own, they put these non-conference schedules together five to six years in advance. They look at Houston, who at that point was the group of five darling. They throw them on the schedule. They go ahead and they get UCLA, who at that point uh, was coming off, I believe, an eight-win season. And unfortunately, Houston's tanking. UCLA is a mess. So their non-conference schedule is not doing them any favors. Uh, And you also throw in South Dakota. So they have to win convincingly every single game to feel confident about getting the nod from the playoff committee. So I I really like a blowout situation here. How about your first pick for week number six? Well, let me pivot off of that unexpectedly bad game theme and go to Penn State covering a big number against Purdue. Man, if you looked at this game in week zero, Penn State playing Purdue with Rondell Moore and an exciting offense. That looked like a really important Big Ten game on the way to the Big Ten Championship. Now you flash forward to week six. Fuck, man. Purdue is decimated. They lose Sindelar and Rondell Moore on the same play. Ugh. And now 27 and a half points, 28 points against Penn State in a conference matchup that Purdue was probably expected to win a little bit. That hurts. But that means the total here at 56 with a 28-point spread means that the books are expecting a 56 to nothing implied score for Penn State here. And I don't hate it, unfortunately. I mean, Purdue is missing Sindelar, Rondell Moore, a lineman, a starting wide receiver, one of the guys who bangs the world's largest drum, probably. Are they going to be able to score? I don't know. I don't think so. So that feels like a safe bet to me that I don't know what you do with the over and under. If Purdue, if you think Purdue can put up any points, you should hammer the over because I think that's an obvious play. You might want to look at alternate uh, alternate, alternate spreads and totals here because I think Penn State is going to really continue to drive towards the Big Ten Championship. I think Purdue is a shambles. I think there's just no hope for the Boilermakers in this one. What do you think, Mike? Because of fantasy implications, I had Rondell Moore on my team until I traded him away to Matt Mitchell, a future stash for him. Hyperextended uh, his knee, also a uh, grade two strain of his hamstring. So he's going to be limited uh, even when he comes back, probably in two weeks against Iowa. He was the straw that stirred the drink for this offense. Elijah Sindelar was a big arm guy who could stretch the field. Now Penn State's going to be able to crowd the box. Jack Plummer uh, out of Arizona, no relation to uh, Jake the Snake. He's just not ready, and that's no fault of his. It's no fault of the coaching staff. You had to believe a fifth-year senior like Sindelar would stay healthy, find a way, you know, gut out some performances, but with a broken collarbone, he shut down. Yeah, I agree. If I were to play this, I have no problem going up to 38 points. You know, throw an extra 10 on there, give me plus 300, see if I can really uh, get back into the black for the season. So Penn State looks like they're on on tracks to really challenge Michigan and Ohio State. I think this is another step in the right direction after a 59-0 drubbing in Maryland last Friday. I hear Jack Plummer's a look, though, which means it's uh, it's Jack the Snack type. <laughs> Jack the Snack, yeah, I, I think that's good. I think, you know, if Jibs was still on the podcast, we could definitely get uh, late-night snack in the pack, some kind of branding for him, get his own... Uh, Maybe his own spinoff podcast. I mean, sexy quarterbacks are in right now, and unfortunately, the BYU quarterback, who might have been the sexiest of them all, could be out for the season. So it's a rough week for the handsome ones. All right, I'm going to throw in my second pick here, uh, Cal, Oregon, under 46 and a half. Speaking of injured quarterbacks, Cal's quarterback is out. 
They were a team that was already searching for an offensive identity, grinding out wins in the lower 20s. Now that they don't have them, they're up against an Oregon defense that has been playing really pissed off since that Auburn second-half meltdown. Um, but then on the other side, you have a Cal defense that is as, a, as good as last year with Evan Weaver shutting down everything in the running game. Oregon, despite, quote-unquote, the best offensive line in the country, has not really been able to produce the kind of rushing performances that we all expected out of Troy Dye and uh, C.J. Verdell. So it's going to come down on Herbert. I think he'll play an efficient game. I think this will be one of those 24-13 kind of games. Under 46.5, it's going to look like an NFL total to you. It's not going to be exciting. It's going to be 8 p.m. on Fox. Um, So you're probably not going to watch. I don't know if I'd call this... You know, a blanket game, maybe a double blanket game. Maybe you're just checking on your phone. Uh, I, I would go under first half, and I'd also go under 46 and a half. Both of these teams have gone under four of their last five games. So I think the market is remembering Cal teams that slung it around, Oregon teams with great rushing attacks, and they're forgetting that both of these teams learned how to play defense and that Cal's offense has been hurting too. So I think, think under is a great play here. I think the market doesn't have a good read on both of these teams this year. I mean, hidden, hidden under 80% of the time for these two teams is a good indicator. I would continue to play that until somebody figures out what the right total should be. Before we pitch it to Matt Mitchell, what's your second to last pick of week six? I'm going to go back to Friday night. I got to Friday night, Saturday afternoon, and a Saturday night for you. But Friday night, we're looking at Cincy getting four at home against UCF. This is a tough game. Good conference matchup. We were big on Cincinnati before the year started. They've had an okay year. Went out and beat UCLA. Didn't cover the spread, but had a nice game about it. Unfortunately, they're not painting the field black, as was viciously rumored on Twitter with a good Photoshop job. I think it was because I got burned by LSU going with the purple field on April Fool's Day about 10 years ago. I just, I never believe it. Uh, I'm not sure if Boise's trademark on colored fields applies. I know that Eastern Washington with the red field had to get a waiver from Boise. I don't know how you can just claim any color other than green, but whoever their lawyer is, uh, the WeWork guys could use them. Well, don't forget, Boise also got to play in all blue uniforms on a blue field before somebody realized how nonsensical that was. Cincinnati going all black throwbacks this year would have been cool, too. I like Cincy, though, playing a ranked team at home on Friday night. I think this place is going to be a real tough environment for UCF, who has not had a real road game this year where they looked good. They went to Pitt and lost a pretty bad one, and they played at FAU against a lesser opponent and not really a road game. They traveled barely at all for that. This is a tough tough order for UCF. They also have a lot of questions in the backfield. Their their freshman quarterback had a tough game against Pitt. Brandon Wimbush is working out with the wide receivers now. They've set sail on him. So I I do not have a lot of confidence in UCF's offense here, especially against a good Cincinnati pass rush, a very good secondary, and a crowd that is going to take no prisoners on Friday night. So I like the home team getting four points here. It's above a magic number for me too. So I, I don't expect Cincy to pull out an upset here, but I do like them to keep it close, and I think they'll stay within a field. This is a full-on Admiral Akbar alert trap situation. It's a trap! In this case, if you're going to bet the game, you might, you, you're probably thinking to yourself that UCF is just a class above. Athletically, you must really believe in Dylan Gabriel, a quarterback. And if that's the case, I know we throw it around a lot. Alternate line, why don't you lay four points and go ahead and get plus 200, plus 225? Because otherwise, you're really looking at, you know, walking into Nippert Stadium, which will be absolutely keyed up. You know, the fact that they lost to Ohio State, yes, that was the game they had circled, but did anyone really expect them to win that game? This is the game where they can control their American Athletic Conference destiny. And if they win this, they kind of have the inside track to the, the Group of Five guaranteed bowl game. So for those reasons, it's either stay away from me or I'll go UCF just outclasses them. But short week conference play, 
really keyed up student section. Um, I, I, I got to say, I, I think it's, it's a, a heady pick on your part. You're, you're going out, you're, you're buying low on a Cincinnati team that struggled a little bit offensively. You figured Desmond Ritter and Michael Warren Jr. Um, was going to be a little bit better this season. But, hey, if there's any time to turn it around, national television game and conference, this would be it. All right, we're going to kick it to Matt Mitchell out in Milwaukee. Matt has uh, he's really done yeoman's work betting uh, Major League Baseball day games the entire summer. If you wanted to check out his video series, uh, they're all... Uh, archives over at his Twitter feed, Old Boy Uncle Mitch. Um, so check that out. But Matt, who do you have here now that the calendar is turning to the best sports month of the year, October? If you want to throw a baseball pick in too, happy to hear it. What you got? Hi, thanks, Mike. I- I'm sorry. Before I dive in here, I'm so fucking distracted by Ryan Camp's failure to understand how an implied score works when using the spread and the total. I went to a public university that went from the Big 12 to the SEC in the University of Missouri. It is not the Harvard of the Midwest. I didn't go to a fancy private East Coast school like y'all, but Christ almighty, you, you think a spread of 28 and a total of 56 in the Penn State game means books are expecting a 56 to nothing game? Do you need a fucking CAT scan? Jesus, H.W. Christ, Ryan. I'm going to try to continue moving forward here because I'm a professional, but, but I think we need to evaluate whether you continue on this fine program. Anyway, my first pick is going to be Air Force and Navy under 44 and a half. This one, not complicated. Service Academy unders. They're like the worst kept secret in college football gambling. Uh, going something like 32 and 9 to the under since 2005, about 80% of these fucking games go under. They run a triple option. They practice against the triple option. They are the most prepared for one another of any other team on the schedule. Uh, under, There's no other way to play service academies when they, when they uh, square off. Number two, tonight we've got South Alabama and Georgia Southern. I'm going to go with the under here as well, under 46. These two teams are fucking disasters offensively. Uh, South Alabama is 113th in total offense, which is pretty terrible. But not to be outdone, Georgia Southern is 129th, second to last. They are atrocious. Georgia Southern's averaging under 50 yards through the air per game only. Only Army has fewer. They run uh, America's least effective triple option offense. Georgia Southern also converting under 24% of its third downs. So if it went like, you know, I I know math, I'm going to talk slow for Ryan, But that would mean that if they went like four for 16 on third downs in this game, that would be a dramatic improvement on their season average. So there's just not going to be a lot of points scored in this game. Two anemic offenses that run constantly. A lot of clock running in this game, so love the under here. And then finally, I know this is cheating, but I'm just going uh, tonight as well. Temple Moneyline, minus 500 in their game against East Kakalaki. Uh, Temple's just not going to lose this game. The defense is too good. Holton Ehlers not having the uh, the second-year campaign that people were expecting from, from him. Th- they're just not going to lose. I would tag this onto every other bet of the weekend. Get yourself a, a tiny free multiplier. Get rid of the juice there. I know it's not much of a brave call, but, I, I mean, they're favored by 12 right now. I'd probably take them. I think they're minus 165 if you lay the 8.5. But simply put, I just think they're a, they're a free square for the rest of your bets. So... Uh, please enjoy. Yes, I'm sorry the Brewers lost, but there's there's always next season. Beer will still be flowing freely here in the great state of Wisconsin. Back to you. 
And condolences, Matt, on the Brewers' loss. That was a real tough one. Uh, it looked like, much like an appreciation for a diverse society, Josh Hader just didn't have it last night. But I like the picks. I like we get you back full-time. Let's think about college football again. On Saturday night, in a pretty thin slate of games that matter or will look good, and certainly of games that will look good and will matter, I am taking a game that does not matter and will not look good, and I like the over in it. I like Oregon State at UCLA, over 65 and a half. I mean, we, we, we have to have a name for this. Betting a game with two teams that are dead in the water for bowl eligibility already in October, it's a full-on stinker, but if it's going to be stinky, it might as well be offensively stinky, and these teams can fucking put up some points. And you'd rather a, an offensively stinky game where defense is the fourth or fifth consideration in the game. I feel like offensively stinky is like when you're not sure if it's a good smell or a bad smell, and yeah. then you go in for a deeper whiff, and then it's a bad smell. I feel like at first this might be, you know, some, some brownies. This is like, is this milk bad? I'm not sure. Yes, this milk is bad. Yeah, now it's bad. Yeah, their defense is quite chunky. Yep. So these two teams have gone under seven times in their last ten. So I'm going to immediately contradict my analysis from a couple picks ago and say that that doesn't matter. But this total is relatively low compared to those two. This is only at 65 and a half. They've only, each of these teams have only been under that total three times out of those ten games. UCLA has only gone for more than two touchdowns once in their last five. But the Beavers have also only held Cal Poly to fewer than 30 points. They gave up 32 points to Portland State. Go Vikings. So UCLA should score if they're not total dog shit. Big if. But I I don't think they are total dog shit. I think they should score two touchdowns. I love the Beaver offense that scored at least four touchdowns in every game this year. Isaiah Hodgins is set for a big game against a weak UCLA secondary. I think both teams easily get into the 30s, and I think they also keep it close because, again, they are really bad, and nobody cares about defense here. I think you could see a high 30s total very easily. You might even see extended stinkiness and have this game go into overtime. I, I like over 65.5 here. I don't think it's crazy. It seems like the betters do too. What do you think, Mike? You know, I don't know if you guys play Yahoo Fantasy Football. I'm getting absolutely murdered this season. I'm 0-4. Thanks a lot, Josh Allen. Um, but one little feature that I like is, you know, week to week, it'll show you a report on your, you know, production and how you performed against your competition. And it'll throw in a little stat. If you played this owner the entire season, this would be your estimated record. If Oregon State could just play UCLA every week, I think they could get the bowl eligibility. And I, I'm pretty sure they're going to drop a 30, 40 point nugget on them every single time. This is an offense that can beat you on the ground with their two headed monster of Jefferson and, uh, and Pierce. And as you alluded to earlier, they probably have the best wide receiver in the Pac-12. So put all that together, I, I like a high-scoring game. And you know what? I feel like after that Washington State-UCLA game two weeks ago could be a little recency bias, but I cannot picture UCLA getting any fucking stops in this game. All right, I'm going to close this out quickly. Uh, I opened it up with OU minus 33 against the Jayhawks. I'm going to go with another big old favorite, LSU laying four touchdowns at home against Utah State. The only reason this isn't my play of the year is that I believe it's an 11 a.m. local kickoff. And you could see an LSU team that's feeling itself. It's getting the publicity. You got Cookie Monster waking you up at 6 in the morning. Lots of confusion. Maybe a slow start. But holy shit, this line is biased in two different ways. This is not the LSU offense of the last 20 years, and this is not the Jordan Love of last year when he was arguably a fringe first or second round NFL draft pick the way that he was playing. He's taken a big step back. 
probably continuity with his receiving core. The talent around him is not quite there. If you watch the Colorado State game, because you have a gambling problem like me, last week he threw two just real strange interceptions, and it, it didn't seem as though there was wide receivers patting their chest that it was their bad running the wrong route. He just was not in sync with them, uh, kept Colorado State in that game. He's going to make the same mistakes, and athletically, LSU is going to force him into a few more. So just, you know, he had the unforced mental errors. You have the, the physical uh, mismatch, particularly in the trenches. And then this LSU offense, Joe Burrow, I, 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 we skipped right by the part where it's a joke when you say, oh, Heisman finalist Joe Burrow. We didn't even get to have a honeymoon period of that. We're now having to take it seriously that he's going to be here in New York, see if we can get him on the podcast when he's here in early December. Um, the fact that he's slinging it all over the yard, he made Vanderbilt look horrific last week, 60, or two weeks ago, 66 points in that performance. He's got a great receiving core, even though he loses Terrence Marshall Jr. for at least a couple more weeks. I think they are going to outclass them. Maybe a slow start, so if you want to bet first quarter, then go ahead and take that touchdown, maybe 7.5 for Utah State. Otherwise, it's all by you, Bengals. What do you think, Ry? A tough lesson to learn with fantasy implications, with betting as you're getting into these things, is that you also need to think about whether or not the team is going to take their foot off the gas. We talked about it with Oklahoma already. I have a feeling that Cookie Monster, Coach O, and Joe Burrow are all upset that LSU's not getting more chatter about the SEC championship and about the last four games, or the, the last two games, the final four. I have to imagine that LSU is just going to continue to beat on Utah State until this game is over. So I would not be afraid of this spread. The only way you'd be afraid of it is if they decide to rest up for their next couple weeks as they head into conference play. I, I don't see that happening. I think Burrow's got the attitude that you can't pull him out of the game if you want to. And I also think that LSU wants to get more chatter and leapfrog over Clemson. Uh, so I love this play. It wouldn't be my pick of the year either, but I think LSU is going to have no problem with the Aggies. And sometimes when it comes to a group of five teams, it's nice to have an apples versus apples comparison. Uh, Georgia Southern, also a 10-win group of five team, as Utah State was last year. They opened up against LSU. They got their dick thrown in the pencil sharpener. So... I think LSU is locked in. I think they're going to be locked in. Maybe the only time to fade them is the week before um, the Alabama game this year. The rest, of, the rest of the way, I think they're locked in, and I think this offense is really special. I think, uh, obviously, Justin Fields in Ohio State, Jalen Hurts in Oklahoma, they're all getting the positive publicity they deserve. Tua as well down in Tuscaloosa. This LSU team is for real on offense, and um, I'm ready to, to ride that gravy train to maybe a 3-0, no, maybe 9-0 week. We're going to find out. Probably 9-0. Probably 9-0. Probably if you'd like to thank us for that 9-0 uh, slate that we just handed out, you can hit us up at shootingthebreeze at gmail.com, over at eastbreeze, E-A-S-T-B-R-E-E-S-E, over at Twitter, or at our SoundCloud. Um, you can leave some comments. Um, I appreciate my mother, my father, some of my other first cousins for dropping in five-star reviews, but I'm speaking directly to you now. Yes, you, Gregory Heitman. Please go ahead and leave us a five-star review. Throw in some nice words about uh, Ryan Camp, Matt Mitchell, myself. That's it for the podcast. This has been Shooting the Breeze. Enjoy week six. We'll be back to celebrate clearly a 9-0 week. Clearly.